0: We're going to sing a a hymn that i love standing on the promises and while we're doing that our ushers will be going through and receiving the offering this morning before we do that let me pray and then we'll carry on with worship god it's good to be in your house today father and it's just so good to stand and sing your praises lord it's it's good to lift your name up in song and we just are so looking forward to everything you're going to do in this place today god bless this time as we give back to you that portion that you've blessed us with so abundantly, Lord. And we just pray that you'd take it, you'd bless this offering, you'd use it, God, in a way that would be pleasing to you, that you'd reach others and allow us to minister and allow this church to do what you've called us to do in this community, God. So bless this time together. And, Lord, we love you, we thank you. Look forward to a great day, in Jesus' name, amen. Our life built firmly on him where we can't be shaken no matter what comes our way. Amen. Praise the Lord this morning. Y'all stand up. Right there, so it's off. See you now. See you. you, be seated.
1: Well, amen and amen. So it's been such a good day to worship together. Thank you for Mike for leading us in worship, and then as well the choir for leading us in worship today. And so, so excited to be back here another Sunday to worship together as a church family. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And so as we wrap up, we've just kind of been talking through this series of what is the gospel and so we've kind of we spent the past 4 weeks kind of looking at those four key themes of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So we've kind of worked our way through those four key themes. And I was wrestling with what to do this week and uh, next week we're going to be starting a new series as we work through the book of James and I was debating do we go ahead and start the book of James or do we wait And really, I just wanted to ask this question, what is our response to the gospel? So creation, fall, redemption, consummation, what is our response to all of that? Because we all know there are certain things that happen in life that demand a response. Just before worship this morning, I didn't know how to take this. Miss Sue come up to me and she said, "Do you want a mint?" I, I said, "Sure." And she goes, "You might want two. What is that supposed to mean? So I had a smart response to give Miss Sue, but just, uh, just. Uh, other things that demand a response we we all we've all probably been there before but about 10 years ago i proposed to Whitney that's something that demands a response hopefully anyone that has ever proposed hopefully there was a resp- response and you know, i had it all planned out i was i was working it down at lakewood at the time and we had this event that summer and I had had the perfect setup, it was her birthday, so I was being sneaky and going behind the scenes and I had a legitimate excuse. She just thought I was planning something for her birthday that day. Well, we had this event and I bought two cakes, one said happy birthday, and on the other cake I had, will you marry me, and I had a picture of us, and it is the most embarrassing picture of Whitney you could imagine. She hated that picture. So naturally, I had to include it in our engagement. I wore a shirt, it was a Hawaiian shirt that she absolutely hated. So naturally I wore it. That's just the kind of person I am. Well, we get everything set up and we walk in there and look at Whitney and she sees her happy birthday cake. I said, well, there's so many people here, we had to get two cakes. So go look at your second cake. And she walks over and she sees the second cake that has, will you marry me on it? And while she's reading it, I get down on one knee and propose. She turns around and the ring's standing there and just becomes a crying mess. And she never gave me a response. So here we are, nine years later, three states, foster care, five kids, and she never responded. So to this day, I still have no idea if she said yes or no to the engagement. But that's a question that demands a response, and when it comes to the gospel church— The gospel demands a response. The gospel is not something we can simply be neutral about. The gospel demands a response. When the gospel is presented, it demands a response from us. And not only when it's presented, but day in and day out of our lives, it demands a response. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today is what is our response to the gospel. And So first and foremost in Mark chapter one, our first response is that we believe the gospel. So this is the entrance, this is the doorway. So Mark chapter one, looking at verse 14 and 15, It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, this is from the very mouth of Jesus. That one of the very first things that we see Jesus saying in the Gospels is to repent and believe the Gospel. So here we are, we've heard about creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We've heard the good news of what Christ has done. And if you are sitting here today, and you do not have a relationship to Christ. What is the first response to the gospel? It is to repent and believe. We can make salvation so complicated, can we not? We can make the gospel proclamation so convoluted at times. But what is the command that Christ gives here? To repent and believe. What does repent mean? It means to turn from our sin that we've heard the gospel proclamation, we recognize that we are broken and we are in our sin and we are under the wrath of God and we recognize that and we say, God, I repent and I turn from that. But it's not just that, it's believe. To believe, to place one's trust in that we've heard the good news of redemption that can take place. We heard the good news of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so not only do we turn from our sin, we place our trust, our belief, our confidence in the finished work of Christ. It's that simple. We repent from our sin and we believe and trust in Christ that's the primary response to the gospel, that when the gospel is proclaimed, we repent and believe. And so if you're sitting here today and you've never done that, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, at the end of worship today, we'll have a time of response. I just want to encourage you during that time to come find me, to come find Pastor Clint Come share what God is doing in your life and your desire to repent and believe and to start this new life in Christ.
2: It really is
1: that simple to repent and believe. So what is our primary response to the gospel? It is to believe the gospel. But then we turn to Romans chapter one. What happens after we repent and believe? we learn the gospel, we learn the gospel. So chapter one, verse 15, we've looked at this text before. Paul says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's writing this letter to the church at Rome. He's writing this to Christians. And yet he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. What do we make of that? That the gospel is not something that we hear one time and we move on from. The good news of what Christ has done is not just a one-time thing, but it's day in and day out. We need to hear the gospel. We need to be reminded of the good news of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. That the gospel, preaching the gospel is not simply an invitational revival style proclamation, but we need to be reminded day in and day out of what Christ has done on our behalf. Why? Because it has ramifications for all of our life. Because we, we like, we, maybe you, you like it, maybe you don't like it. We can find ourselves wanting a to-do list. So pastor, just give me five ways to be a better husband. Just give me five ways to be a better father. Give me five ways I, I can be a better coworker. We could do that, but what if instead we preach the gospel, where instead of five ways to be a better husband, we do what Paul does in Ephesians 5, and when he instructs husbands, what does he do? He ties it to Christ. And so instead of saying, hey, here's five ways to be a better husband, five ways to be a better father, he says, look at Jesus. Jesus. That husbands, if you want to love your wife better, look at how Christ loves the church. Fathers, moms, if you want to love your kids better, look at how the father loves you. You want to love your co-workers better, better yet, you want to love your enemies better, look at how God has loved you that our understanding of the gospel is far more reaching than we could ever imagine. We're going to get to that point in just a moment. But we need to learn the gospel and to live in it, to practice the gospel. We need to understand it, but not only that, we continue reading Romans 1. We learn the practices of the gospel, but not only that, we learn the power of the gospel. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It's the power of God to salvation. That the gospel not only impacts how we live individually, but understand this church, it impacts how we live collectively as a body of believers. That we must understand that it is, it is not our ministry programs that are the power of God to salvation. It is not our ministry philosophy that is the power of God to salvation. It's not our personalities that are the power of God to salvation. It is only the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. That is the only thing we have to offer anyone. The gospel is the power of God. The good news of what Christ has done is the only message we have to offer anyone, simply the gospel. So we learn the practices of the gospel and we learn the power of the gospel. But then number three, we proclaim the gospel. First Peter chapter four, verses four through six. So here, Peter is writing to the church and he's, he's talking about their distinction from the rest of the world. And so he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Just pause there for a second. Peter is talking about those who would make fun of believers. Why? Because believers aren't partaking in the same things that the world is partaking in. But then notice what he says. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. He's not talking about physically dead. He's talking about spiritually dead. Dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. There's this group of people that are against believers, they are spiritually dead. And so what does Peter say? We preach, we proclaim the gospel to them. Why? So they might live. We have to understand, every day you step foot into the office, there are people who may be physically alive, but are spiritually dead. And their greatest need is not your advice. Their greatest need is not your, hear me out, your gossip. Their greatest need is the gospel. Why? Because they're spiritually dead, but the gospel has the power to make them spiritually alive. That is their greatest need. So what are we doing day in and day out? When we have the greatest message that's ever been known, but we never proclaim it. It would be like someone came in completely dehydrated, walking through the desert. And you had a gallon of water. And you said, you know what? This might be an awkward conversation. I don't want to offer them the water that I have. They're dead, they're dying, and you have what they need. So we proclaim it, we preach it, we share that good news. That's our response to the gospel. Because just as someone took time to proclaim that good news to you, we then turn and proclaim that good news to someone else. So why? They might live. So we believe the gospel. We learn the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. But then lastly, we defend the gospel. Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, I've always found the book of Galatians interesting because Paul has a different tone for the church of Galatians. He offers no introductory prayer as we've seen to the other churches. He just gets right into it. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What was happening in the church of Galatia, there were what was known as Judaizers who were creeping into the church and that they were teaching that faith in Christ plus you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. So faith in Christ plus you needed to do xy and z you need to follow all of these ritual parts of the law so yes believe in Jesus but add a few extra things to it that if you believe in Jesus and you do these things you can be saved this was the judaizers so paul says i am astonished and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The notice even this distortion, they're still talking about Jesus. They're still talking about faith in Jesus, but it's just adding a few extra works onto the side in order to be saved. So in order to be a Christian, you must have faith in Jesus and do X, Y, and Z. It's a distortion of the gospel. But he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven— should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What is Paul saying? He's saying, let him be thrown into hell. Let him bear the full wrath of God if he preaches another gospel, if he distorts the gospel. Let him bear this penalty. That's strong language. And Paul even throws himself into the mix. But if even we should preach another gospel, Let him, let me be accursed. Or even if an angel should come from heaven and proclaim another gospel, let him be accursed. Why? Because the gospel is valuable. You see, here's the difficulty, church. Here's where the rub is. Is that even... Sound, biblical churches can distort the gospel. That, that we may not do it intentionally, but we will preach messages that say, do more, be better, do this, do this. Instead of saying, the work has already been done. That the work was finished by Christ on the cross. The work is not to be taken up and completed by you. Christ finished the work. You See, the gospel says it is done. A distortion of the gospel says we must do. You see, it's ultimately a, a failure to recognize the root versus the fruit that I firmly believe there are things that should come about in a regenerate person's heart after they have believed and confessed faith in Christ. There should be fruit. Scripture tells us there will be fruit in that person's life, but understand that fruit is not what saves you. The fruit may be the evidence of one's salvation, but it is not what saves you. It is simply faith in Christ that saves you. And here's what we have done is we have told multitudes of people, we have preached messages. They're simply how to modify your behaviors, how to adjust your morals, how to be a better Christian. And they're leaving churches with a to-do list, thinking they are spiritually okay because they can mark some checks in a box throughout the week. All the while there's no salvation, They're just thinking they can change their behaviors and they've got it. Instead of simply saying, repent and believe the gospel that the work of Christ is finished. We dare not distort the gospel. We dare not say you must do, 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 do and not rest in what Christ has already done. We must defend it. Why must we defend it? Because it's the only thing we have, this precious gospel. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's rather simple. The greatest need for a believer and non-believer is the gospel. The greatest need for the believer and the non-believer is the gospel. And so whether you're sitting here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, or you are or you, or sitting here today and you have been walking with Christ for 70 years, your greatest need is the gospel. You need to hear the gospel. You need to hear what Christ has accomplished. You need to be reminded day in and day out of the gospel. All of us in here, it is our greatest need. And until the day comes when Christ calls us home, it will be our greatest need to hear the gospel. So we have a few points of application before we close. First, the gospel is simple, yet deeper than we can comprehend. The good news, the message of the good news of Christ is rather simple that Christ bore the penalty that was due to me and he bore it on himself so that I can be reconciled and brought back into right relationship with my creator and that the day will come when I can then spend eternity with him. Like that's so simple that even a child can grasp that. But yet it's so deep that no matter how many years you walk with Christ, you will never get to the depths of the gospel. That there will always be more areas in your life that need to be impacted by the gospel. There will always be more things that need in our lives that need the gospel. So it's deep, it's incredibly simple. But it's deeper than we can comprehend. But then second, the gospel is sufficient to meet every need. It's sufficient to meet every need. That there is not one area of your life that the gospel is not sufficient to speak into whether it be your marriage, your job, your finances, whatever it is, the gospel is sufficient to speak into that. The gospel has implications for all of that. And as a church, we must understand the sufficiency of the gospel. What we need as a church is what we need as individuals. We need to be reminded of the gospel. But then, lastly, the gospel is powerful to transform any life. It's powerful to transform any life. As Mike and the band comes back to the stage. See, let's just be honest. I struggle with it. I know you struggle with it too, more than likely. That there are individuals we encounter on a weekly basis that just seem a little too far gone. The problem with that is that's an incredibly low view of the gospel. As though that person cannot be radically brought from death to life simply by hearing the proclamation of that gospel. It has the power to transform any life. And even as believers, The gospel has power to transform your life. The gospel has power to transform, just as we talked about it, it has the power to transform your marriage. The gospel has power to transform the relationship you have with your children and your grandchildren. The gospel has the power to do that. That's why we need to be reminded of it day in and day out. The gospel has power to transform any life. So what is our response to the gospel? Just as I said at the beginning, we'll give us a time here at the end to respond. You may be sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor Zach, I have never trusted Christ as my savior. I've never repented and believed. You talked about repenting and believing. I have never done that. Just wanna encourage you during this time, what better time to repent and believe? To come find me, come find Pastor Clint during this time of response to repent and believe. Or maybe you're sitting here and you are a believer, but you're going, Pastor Zach, I need to be reminded of the gospel. Maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer reflecting on the gospel and asking God to day in and day out remind you of that good news. Maybe that's you, or you're sitting here today and you're going, I need the courage to proclaim this gospel. That there are people in my life that need to hear the good news of what Christ has done. There are people in my life that are dead and thirsty and just need a drink of water and I have it and I just need some courage to share it. Would you come and bring that before the Lord? I'm gonna pray for us. If you want to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing over here. Pastor Clint will be standing over there. But would you respond to the gospel today? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, thank you for this beautiful message of the gospel the good news of what you have accomplished for us. So God, would you be with us during this time? God, help us to respond to the gospel. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and respond today as I A seat just for a second won't keep you too long. Um, how many of you enjoyed being in God's house this morning? Amen. Amen. And so, just a, just a few quick announcements. We've got a few things coming up, and so this coming Wednesday night, we've got a we've got a busy fall coming up, and so this Wednesday night, we're just going to set aside some time just to pray. And so we're going to gather in here, and we're going to pray together. we will to have some prayer stations throughout the church, and so we're going to kind of break up into some groups and just kind of prayer walk throughout the facility. And so that's this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night. And then the following Wednesday night will be our back-to-school kind of kickoff. We're going to have a bunch of games, kind of carnival-type stuff. And so if you have signed up to volunteer with that, see Taylor. Taylor, wave your hand. Okay, there's Taylor. If you have signed up or you are interested in helping out, please see Taylor again. This is, we are focusing on reaching out to our community at that event. That's Wednesday night, the 16th, so I encourage you to be a part of that. Then as well, the 20th, we are moving some classrooms around. We are starting some new classrooms. We're going to kind of have a younger married class and our more mature married class. Okay, I don't wanna say old married. Okay, that's wise. Um, And then, so of course we'll still have those, that's really the only change of class. All our other classes will be the same. We'll be moving some classrooms around. So um, kind of be be talking to your life group leader about where you're going to go and when all that's gonna happen um, and then. We'll get everything set up and ready to roll. And then that Wednesday night, the 23rd, we're starting our new Wednesday night equipped classes. And so right now I will be teaching a class on how we got the Bible. And so if you're interested in learning more of how we got that, what happens? How we went from Hebrew scrolls and some Greek letters to a nice leather bound book, a collection of 66 books. Be a part of that class. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why we can trust the Bible, why the Bible is reliable. And we'll even get into talking about English translations and which translations are better than others. So if that's something that's ever interested you, invite you to come be a part of that class. August 12th coming up, church work day, we're gonna be moving some stuff around, cleaning some of some stuff out and getting ready to move those classrooms. And then as well, coming up, I know it's the start of August, Operation Christmas Child's coming. Okay, Ms. Joanna has been working all year on it and we've got, we've been making really good progress. And so I encourage you, school supplies this month. How many of you have seen school supplies as you've gone to Walmart? Okay. Very easy just to go ahead and pick some up while you're out shopping so that we can get those ready to go as we when we get prepared to mail those off and send those out. All right, so school supplies are what's on the list for this month. And so on the way out, we're going to be playing a video in just a moment kind of talking a little bit more about Operation Christmas Child. But before we do that, I just want to ask Miss Carol Forrester to come up here. Miss Carol has come today and she wants to... Um, move her her membership to Airline Baptist Church, and so we are so excited for her, excited for her coming to be a part of our faith family. And so, after the video plays, I encourage you to come by, welcome her, let her know how excited you are for her to be a part of our family here at Airline Baptist Church. And so, I encourage you to pray for her, support her, encourage her, and let her know how excited you are. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have a video that plays, and then you'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this, this opportunity we've had to be in your house today. God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. God, thank you for Miss Carol today coming to be a part of this family here at Airline Baptist Church. Would you bless her, God, as she pursues you, God, with this family here. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Three, two...
3: When that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Look at how they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. You can
4: hear the laughter, you can hear the cheer, that excitement, it
2: goes and goes and goes. Right now we're in Ukraine, and today we've given out the 200 millionth shoe box to a little girl here. So it's a lot of fun. It's a privilege for us to be able to come and to help the people as much as we can. Every box is important, because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about his son, Jesus Christ. There's so much joy that one gift box can give. They really experience the love of Jesus. At Christmas shall we celebrate something as simple as the shoebox, because God uses it to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.
4: We got a full box on this, kids! This is such an amazing time. We're so happy to be here. This shoebox gift will impact a child's life all year round.
2: We never dreamed we'd have an army of men and women who would come to make this program happen.
4: This is what it's all about telling others
2: about Jesus. These shoe boxes go into 120 different countries where pastors and missionaries are gonna use them to bring the gospel to kids. So you may think it's just a simple gift at Christmas time, but it's the gift of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ.
0: When that shoe box leaves that distribution center and it goes around the world, that's not just one person. That's
2: the body of Christ joined together delivering the good news of the gospel. They go by plane, they go by ship, they go by river they go by camels, they go by motorbikes, and these boxes go to some of the most remote areas of the world, and every box counts. After receiving shoeboxes, children are invited to participate in the Greatest
3: Journey
0: Discipleship Program. These children have just completed 12 lessons in the Greatest Journey. I believe that discipleship is the key, and they are now followers of Christ. They will tell their
1: friends about Jesus.
5: My name is Gladys, and I am nine years old. My friend Kemi told me I needed to go with her to church. I wanted to teach her about the Word of God. And when she came to my church, she received a gift box. For a long time, I asked my mom for a blanket. When I opened my shoe box, I found a blanket in it. When I came home, I showed it to my mom, and she said it was great. I told her about Jesus. Now me, my mom, my grandma, and Kemi go to church together. I am certain of one thing. God is my savior.
2: Every box counts. Every box touches a child. It's like a snowflake. There's not one shoebox that is the same. And we are reaching millions of children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community.
3: We are seeing churches being planted, and more and more churches are being built.
5: We will do whatever it takes to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel.
2: That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? The joy, the smiles, it changes lives. Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes.